0: Hello and welcome to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we cover the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today I'm joined by Ian Weissman, DO FACR. Dr. Weissman is a radiologist at the Milwaukee Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Milwaukee. He's chair of ACR's Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, he was ACR's 2019 Advocate of the Year, and he also serves as chair of the Outreach Committee of ACR's Commission on Patient and Family-Centered Care, or the PFCC. Dr. Weissman, it's a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's my great pleasure to be here. I'm a huge fan of this excellent ACR Bulletin podcast series. There's tremendous content on this podcast series in are many areas like economics, population health, and artificial intelligence. I always enjoy learning from my radiology friends and colleagues on this podcast who are all thought leaders. I thank you and your colleagues at the HR Bulletin for all your excellent work.
0: Wow. Thank you so much. We'll try to live up to those expectations today. <laughs> thank you. Well, today we'll be talking about a range of topics uh, of particular interest to you, as I understand it, Dr. Weissman, uh, including physician well-being, health equity, and the PFCC, like I mentioned off the top there. Um, I think a good way to frame the discussion is by looking at a concept um, that, that you've touted called the joyful triad, um, which encompasses uh, the topics we'll be d- discussing today. So can you please explain, uh, first off, what the joyful triad is?
1: Yeah, you know, I term the expression "joyful tride of healthcare success" to define the mission of our work on the American College of Radiology Patient and Family Centered Care Outreach Committee, and the joyful tride of healthcare success consists of three important elements: so patient family centered care, health equity, and condition well being. It's a continuum of important patient centered and physician care concepts which are all interconnected, and I propose that if we pursue strategies to improve patient and family centered care, improve health equity improve well-being both in ourselves and others that this will result in a feeling of joy within, our, within ourselves uh, and and joy is a very powerful internal emotion so it's not affected by what's happening around us uh, as an example a child is able to tap into joy a child can be surrounded by turmoil but they can still experience joy and we've all seen this in children and we still have this ability as adults and you've met people who carry joy within themselves they're they're wonderful to be around so being able to tap into joy is an important way to maintain well-being in ourselves and I'll share some examples of actions that result in joy for me. So, uh, so when I call a patient home to share urgent results, which speeds up their care, this gives me joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I reach out to support or thank a colleague, this gives me joy. Uh, and when I'm when I'm the patient, uh, I always thank all the staff for the hard work and dedication. Uh, their hard work, uh, the front desk staff, the technologists, the nurses, the physicians, uh, and this gives me joy. So I call a mission on the ACR PFC outreach committee. The joyful triad of healthcare success.
0: So interesting, and I, I'm just struck by uh, your description there. I think a term for that that I've that I've heard um, is is soft leadership skills. And I, you know, I, I'm always hesitant to say soft because their shows are so key, and I think feel like they play into this triad you're talking about.
1: Yeah, no, it's ex- exactly. It's extremely important, and it's. And I agree with you. I don't think it's soft leadership skills. I think it's what we all should be doing to improve well-being ourselves and to be reaching out to our colleagues so spot on.
0: Interesting. Well, focusing on well-being, which is part of what you were talking about there, um, why has physician well-being become such an important concept in recent years, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, you know, it, achieving and maintaining well-being, as you said, is extremely important, and it has become even more important. And uh, And two reasons come to mind. Uh, the first is that clinicians need to be well to provide excellent patient care. Uh, and the second is that the great resignation of healthcare workers that we're experiencing, we've heard this term, the great resignation, in large part due to burnout, is resulting in a large number of our healthcare colleagues who are just leaving the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and the healthcare industry is the second largest industry that's been affected by the great resignation. It's resulting in a loss of 20% of our health workforce. Our, our overall health employment, care employment, is down by about half a million people, 500,000 workers. And, and a very disturbing statistic I came across, which I keep on seeing is as predicted by 2025, nearly 50% of our healthcare workforce will leave medicine. And obviously, this will wow. destabilize healthcare delivery in the US. Uh, it's clearly a public health crisis. Mm. And, and additionally, this is very concerning to me, because for many of us, healthcare is a mission. It's a calling. Uh, and we historically have seen physicians working as they age into their 80s. So physicians for physicians who retire early, something is seriously wrong. And I'm already starting to see cracks in the US healthcare system. And I'll, I'll give you share a share recent survey I came across. So there was a patient survey that came out in November 2022. It came out a few months later in February 2023. And over this three month period, uh, just over three months, more Americans were reporting that they're being affected by healthcare staffing shortages. So in November 2022, 25% of Americans said they're being affected by healthcare staffing shortages. And through three months later in February, this increased to 35% of Americans that said they're being affected by healthcare sh- staffing shortages. In November of 2022, 73% of Americans said they are experiencing cha- delays and challenges in getting the care they need. Three months later, they increased to 84%. So, so more than four out of five people in America who need healthcare are now are experiencing challenges in getting the care they need. And more than half of the people surveyed said they're afraid they won't be able to get needed medical care due to staffing shortages. So, so this is a real healthcare crisis. And as some examples, ERs are closing in Canada. Rural hospitals continue to close in the U.S., uh, at least 136 rural hospitals and health systems have closed in the U.S., mm-hmm. and more are predicted to close in, pa- in part due to staffing shortages. In radiology, radiology is experiencing workplace workplace shortages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, as an example, our radiology colleagues around the world uh, are also experiencing workplace shortages, and I'll give you an example. So in British Columbia, Canada, uh, hundreds of thousands of patients are waiting to get imaging studies. So, so hundreds of thousands of patients are on are, are an imaging list waiting to get studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, imaging studies. So, if you're a woman in British Columbia and you have a breast mass, you may have to wait a month to get a breast biopsy, which is just unbelievable when you, when you think about that. Uh, in the UK, there's sort about 1,700 radiologists. This has been a problem for years. And we need to know what's happening around the world to our colleagues because what's happening to our radiology colleagues around is a warning of what may happen to us in the US. Mm. So, we need to mitigate burnout and we need to maintain our healthcare workforce.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk about access to care in a little bit. I'm so glad you you uh, foreshadowed that for us, because that is a huge part of uh, a, an approach to care that's rapidly gaining steam, which is called population health management, which we've covered on other episodes. So we won't yes. get too far into that today, but uh, I would recommend our viewers to go back and watch some of those past episodes. It plays right into what you're talking about. And and my other thought, so many thoughts come up when you say what you said is that um, with the news that that's uh, so, radiology, among almost all special specialties has done one of the best as far as matching uh this year I, th- I think that what your, your sentiment can get a little bit lost in in the good news so we, we want to emphasize the good news but also as a backdrop a lot of spe- a lot of other specialties and and uh you know fields of medicine are, are not so fortunate and those are future teammates of, of those people who matched <laughs> so uh, joyful triad flows through all of medicine it sounds like and something to keep in mind so definitely Excellent. Well, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about leadership and well-being, if, if you'd indulge me, um, uh, you know, whether they be practice leaders, department chairs or other sorts of leaders. I'm wondering um, how how can those in leadership positions and maybe those who don't currently have a leadership position but want to want to show some leadership, um, h- how do they best assess <clears throat> and understand the well-being needs of their colleagues?
1: Yeah, no, that's excellent. And you brought up a great point. We're all leaders. We're all leaders. We all lead. We all lead by example. We, we, we When we follow, we lead. We're all leaders. Um, and especially if you lead an organization, uh, I mean, leaders need to be involved and they need to be present because they define the culture. They define the culture of the organization. And especially with, with well-being now, they need to be actually speaking with their colleagues to prevent burnout, right? And when I think of leaders, I put leaders into two broad categories. There's the traditional leaders that we're all familiar with and and they're servant leaders, uh, and both leaders are are driven to meet the goals of the organization, but servant leaders are also concerned about the well being of their team. Um, so servant leaders reach out to their colleagues, they get to know them, they ask questions like, you know, what excites you about coming to work? How can I help you grow professionally? Uh, and when leaders make this effort, it mitigates burnout. Um, and leaders need to to listen to their colleagues, and I mean, they really active listening. They really have to listen, uh, and they should be regularly walking through the apartment talking to our colleagues, getting a sense of what factors may be leading to burnout. And then leaders should be working with their colleagues, with their teams to develop solutions to mitigate burnout. And this is what servant leaders do. And it works
0: it's hmm, so interesting you could probably just do a whole show about strategies for intervening and and uh ensuring that burnout you know probably just intervening sooner so the burnout doesn't even happen to begin with so exactly but maybe maybe we'll have you back in the future and have you talk about that <laughs> <laughs> um well to lead us into discussion on health equity which we've touched on a little bit um, before um I'd like to ask you about access to care issues what we just were kind of talking about a little bit ago um, since reduced access to care is one factor that drives health care disparities out there um do you see the connection between physician burnout and access to care for underserved communities, and if so, how can you how can uh, improving physician wellness actually positively affect patient care?
1: Yeah, definitely, and and I'm happy to also share some strategy about how we can uh, mitigate burnout as well. If you, if you want, we can tackle it as well because uh, I mm-hmm. there's some interesting studies that have come up. But let me address this question first about the health sure, activity, sure. Mm-hmm. um which is that as you mentioned, there's there's definitely a connection between uh, physician burnout and access to care for underserved communities. Um, And access to care is critically important to reducing healthcare disparities. And as as physicians burn out and leave medicine, we're experiencing larger and larger healthcare deserts in our nation. And we're seeing this to a larger extent in rural communities and underserved communities. Um, If patients don't have access to healthcare professionals or care will suffer, underserved communities will suffer. And this increases healthcare disparities because physicians need to be well Mm -hmm. and they need to continue seeing patients to provide all care all patients with uh with the healthcare that, that they need
0: interesting yeah and i guess that plays into that quadruple aim of the uh ihi and and other places that that the, it's nice i think it's probably gratifying i would think to see that um <clears throat> the idea is gaining traction um, but yeah yeah and i, I can talk I about noticed...
1: some strategies if you want sure absolutely because that's i think it's really important there's been a couple of articles which have come out which are really powerful and i think it's going to help us um in fact uh they just came out in october of 2022 uh, and this is really powerful stuff. So, so the National Academy of Medicine and the and the U.S. Surgeon General, they just released two landmark consensus reports, which outline strategies to reduce burnout. Mm. And the National Academies, Medicine, they've been working on this for six years, uh, wow. to develop their well-being recommendations. And they call their new recommendations the National Plan for Health Workforce Well-Being. And for those of you who are not familiar with National Academies Medicine, it's a highly respected organization. It's a think tank, uh, and their recommendations, their well-being recommendations were built upon input from a network of over 200 organizations. So they really did their work. Um, and they received, uh, they reached out to the public, they got 2,000 comments that came in, and, and then they put together their plan. They listened lots, lots of people, and, and their information is very powerful, and we really need this now. So what they did is they've made six initial recommendations to improve well-being in the National Academy of Medicine. And, and the first recommendation they made is we have to advance organizational commitment. Organizations have to be committed to mitigating burnout. We need to strengthen leadership behaviors, so we get back to uh, we get back to servant leadership that we've talked about. They need to conduct workplace assessments. They have to examine policies and practices. Uh, they have to examine workplace efficiency. And then one very important point: they have to cultivate a culture of connection and support uh, among among their teams. And the NAM now has put out these recommendations, and they're getting feedback, and they'll make additional recommendations as as more as more people kind of reflect on this. The U.S. Surgeon General, he's identified five priorities, five current priorities. And two of his five priorities are health worker burnout and supporting workplace mental health and well-being. So this is a national issue. I mean, this has happened across the nation. And like the National Academy of Medicine, the U.S. Surgeon General, they also released a recommendations to improve mental health and well-being in October. So everything happened just a few months ago. Yeah. And the, and the U.S. Surgeon General, they defined five essential, uh, what they call support engines for workplace well-being. And they're all interconnected. And each of the five uh, support engines are grounded in two human needs. So the five support engines are protection from harm. So one should feel that ones in a safe and secure environment. Uh, connection and community. Again, we come back to connection and community. One should feel one belongs, that there's social support uh, within one's workplace. Work-life harmony. Uh, people should feel they have some flexibility, autonomy. You know, that can be working from home, spending more time with your family. People working with employees to make sure they have this work-life harmony. Mattering of work is very important. One should feel that there's meaning at their work, that they have dignity when they come to work. They should be treated with respect. Um, and a very important concept, which is opportunity for growth. The people should always feel that they're learning on their job, they're accomplishing things. I mean, these are all very fundamental concepts to to help uh, well-being. And and again, I want to emphasize that both the NAM and the OSR General, they emphasize a culture of connection and support is one of the priorities and I'm going to take a look at VA for a second I work for VA um and it's a great example to see how a big healthcare organization is is dealing with this so so VHA is America's largest integrated healthcare system it has more than uh, uh, 380 thousand employees so hundreds and hundreds of thousands of employees how do you how do you burnout across such a large scale so they provide care to you. They nearly 1,300 healthcare facilities. They serve 171 medical centers. They serve 9 million veterans each year. And in the fall of 2021, VHA was also concerned about burnout in, in, their, in their workforce. So they put together a national task force uh, to address, address burnout, which is called REBOOT. And I love the name REBOOT. Uh, it stands for Reduce Employee Burnout, Optimize Organizational Thriving. Hmm. And I was actually appointed to serve in this national REBOOT task force by the Under Undersecretary of Health, because I have an interest in cultivating well-being for my colleagues. I've been doing a lot of work through ACR on this for many years. Uh, So we all participate in weekly meetings. We participate in weekly meetings for about six months, design well-being strategies based on feedback from our uh, colleagues in VHA. And we launched our recommendations in September of 2022, just before NAM and U.S. Surgeon General came out with their recommendations. So we have seven initial focus areas that we've implemented. And the first is that we feel it's very important to have a, a condition well-being officer. So we have a chief condition well-being officer who's kind of looking at all these things and, and trying to coordinate things. Uh, also optimize meetings so that meetings are streamlined, don't impact on people's schedules. Um, optimize our learning system. We have something called the TMS, uh, time management system, where we have to take courses periodically. They want them to be streamlined so it doesn't impact on people's schedules. We want to strengthen mental health support. You always hear mental health support. is very important to for the veterans, also for the employees as well. Mm-hmm. We want to address inefficiencies in the workplace. Again, people, we do what we can to help people if it comes, whatever it takes from computers to to reach out to people for help. We want to maximize the use of HR policies and flexibilities. I know you heard that before, uh, where you give people some flexibility to work at home, to feel that they can do things which helps their their work-life harmony. And again, strengthen the culture of servant leadership. Um, So again, we return... The servant leadership, which I discussed earlier, which which is a servant leadership, is concerned about their team. A servant leader cultivates a, a culture of connection and support, which National Academy of Medicine and Yosef General talked about. So these same themes to improve well being are coming up over and over and over again. Um, and and this is what we need to do as a collaborative community to improve well being. And why are these recent recommendations from NAM, Yosef General, Veterans Health Administration so important? Why am I more hopeful now? that we can achieve well-being uh, with the recent publication of the recommendations that were just released a few months ago. Well, now we have we now have data. It all comes down to data. You know, if we if we hope to move the needle toward well-being, we need data. And, and we can now go to leadership and we can say, you know, it doesn't make a difference what I think about well-being. It doesn't make a difference what you think about well-being. This is what our colleagues, this is what the experts are saying. We need to work together, clinicians, administrators working together to achieve well-being. Otherwise, we'll lose more and more staff. We'll continue to lose more and more staff to the great resignation. And, and this impacts Patient care. We're all patients, so being well affects all of us.
0: That's so interesting uh, the way you you explain that because I uh, on the surface of it, I would think that um, you know going to uh, you know maybe for instance uh, administrators or a suite and saying, I look, I know there like we talked about earlier. I know there's a physician shortfall at least with physicians, uh, if not also you know other types of healthcare workers. Um, so for the physicians and healthcare workers we have been, managed to retain, can we give them more? time off or can we, you know, accommodate them? So sometimes, you know, if you look at it just on the surface, it might seem counterintuitive uh, that, that, you know, that, that you, that's the environment into which you should be deploying these uh, mitigation, burnout mitigation strategies. But I think the way that you filled it in with the other accommodations you're talking about um, and just really trying to balance work-life balance, uh, you know, anyway, that was just very interesting. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on the, the kind of uh, no, counter no. counterintuitive nature, maybe of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Because you're right. I mean, people do need time to to uh, go home and heal, and and walk outside in nature, and spend time with their families. But we have less we have less we have less employees. So I mean, there's strategies they're using now to try to, to try to do this. One is that they're using AI perhaps to help, so that it it takes away a lot of the busy work from clinicians. AI can help with that, so it allows more time for people to focus. And what's important to them, which is many times spending more time with patients, uh being more efficient so they can get home and spend time with their family. So we have to do more with we have to do more with less. So A as a A as a strategy for sure. And then and then for the for the employees which are hanging in there and, and we have less and less, it becomes even more important for uh our colleagues, our our servant leaders, to make sure we're identifying what's important to people. Uh, so we, someone may say, I wanted to spend more time with my family. How can you help me? Well, if you can allow people to work from home a couple of days a week, that could really help them because it takes the time off on the travel on both ends. If someone says, well, I really enjoy uh, teaching or learning or going to conferences or doing advocacy nationally. And they said, well, let's see if we can help you with that. There's a conference coming up. When, when do you go to that one, bring back some ideas to the center uh, to, to help us as well. And then you're supporting people's needs. Um, and and just seeing that people are concerned about people's human needs that can do a lot. And when people feel they're part of the team, we all know we're faced right now with less and less staff. But as long as we know that leadership is looking out for us and we're all working together together, and we're communicating and we're having transparent leadership, ethical leadership where people are communicating, being transparent, uh, that's about as – I think we'll be fine. But we definitely have to do that. And unfortunately, it's not happening <laughs> everywhere. And that's where we're seeing people leave and just resign and say, you know, I'm done. So – Great question.
0: Absolutely. No, it's so interesting. I'm sure we could talk just on that topic in a whole episode. So um, again, we'll have to have you back. Well, staying on the topic of health health equity, um, which we've talked about a little bit. you know in addition to your other titles you're also president of the Wisconsin uh, Radiological Society and and that's the society is a, actually a coalition partner to the Radiology Health Equity Coalition and I'll ha- I'll ask you to speak about that in a minute but we'll we'll definitely provide a link in the show notes for people uh, t- to get up to speed on that so can you please uh, tell us a little bit about what the Radiology Health Equity Coalition is and maybe provide you know your insights into how radiologists can <clears throat> can can go about improving health equity both regionally and nationally
1: yeah, definitely. And uh and and for those of you who think about you know what health equity is and why it's important for health equity, I'll talk about that and then we'll kind of lead into those other things that you've talked about because it's all important, all kind of ties together. Um, and health equity is part of our joyful trial of healthcare success on our, on our committee. Um, but I think it's important to look at health equity uh, because I really feel it's the next evolution of patient family centered care. So part of what I call the joyful trial of healthcare success. And health equity is when everyone has the opportunity to to attain his or her full health potential. And knowing this is disadvantaged from achieving their health potential because of social position or other socially determined circumstances. Um, And the the good news is that health disparities are preventable uh, and we can all collectively work together to prevent healthcare disparities in our community. Uh, And getting to what you're talking about, uh, I I think of three strategies that we can use to achieve health equity. And they're all interconnected. The first is awareness and education. Uh, The second is research. The third is advocacy which ties into what you mentioned, and I'll give some examples. So so as an example of using awareness and education to achieve health equity, as the president of the Wisconsin Royal Society, uh, I organized a panel discussion on health equity at a recent 2023 annual meeting, which occurred a couple of weeks ago on April 1st, 2023. And it was a fantastic discussion. We all exchanged ideas. We proposed strategies to, to increase health equity for all our patients. Um, here's another example of using awareness and education to increase health equity. My partner and I, Dr. Narayan, who's on the ACR-PFC Outreach Committee, helped launch the new Radiology Health Equity Coalition webinar series last year, where we both spoke on the role of patient-centered care and achieving health equity for for our patients, for all our patients. And the seminar was recorded, and it's available to, to view for free on the Radiology Health Equity Coalition website. And for those of you not familiar with the Radiology Health Equity Coalition, it launched in late 2021. It was created to mitigate healthcare disparities in our patients with the support of radiologists across the country. And it was initially comprised of multiple national radiology organizations, the American College of Radiology, the Radiology Society of North America, the American Board of Radiology, the American Medical Association, Section Council on Radiology, and the Radiology Health Equity Coalition, coalition is actively growing. Uh, in fact, uh, on July 27th, 2022, on my presidency, the Wisconsin Radiology Society became the sixth radiology coalition state partner. In the United States to join the Radiology Health Equity Coalition, and I'm very proud of our members for supporting this cause. Um, Our Radiology State Society in Wisconsin is collectively moving the needle toward health equity. Um, A second really important strategy to achieving health equity is research, Uh, and a very concerning report came out of the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine in May of 2022, and it was a congressionally mandated report, and they found that the lack of representation in research is compounding disparities in health outcomes for underrepresented groups and for the nation. And that this lack of representation and research will cost many lives and hundreds of billions of dollars for the U.S. And we cannot afford to lose more lives in our community. uh, And we cannot afford more public debt. Uh, The U.S. currently has $31.5 trillion of public debt, total public debt. So achieving health equity is important to reduce our country's large public debt. And achieving health equity saves people's lives. Uh, Advocacy. So advocacy is a third strategy to achieving health equity. It's also critically important, uh, both radiologists, -radiologists, non-radiologists, they can lend their support to their state and national medical societies to support health equity, uh, to achieve health equity, advocate uh, with your patients, advocate with your colleagues, make your voice heard on social media, with your legislature, at the voting booth. And together, if we work together, together, we can achieve health equity for all people.
0: We mentioned towards the top that uh, you chair a, a, a PFCC Commission as the Patient Family Centered Care uh, Commission here at ACR, um, and you, you actually chair the outreach committee of that commission. And that 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 committee in particular is just deeply committed to health equity. I know you guys do a lot of great work over there. Um, and so, what are some if you could uh, share with the audience? What are some past successes you've had in moving radiology in a more patient-centered direction, and uh, maybe some what current projects you're working on, and maybe this, this you have some things you have your sights set on for the future.
1: Yeah, no, no definitely. So, so we're following our mission uh, on the ACR PFC's Outreach Committee on what I call the joyful trial of healthcare success. So improving patient and family center care, improving health equity, improving clinician well-being. Uh, and some recent successes that we've had uh, as president of the Wisconsin Radio Society, uh, I developed a two-part national seminar, which discussed strategies to improve well-being. Mm-hmm. And this was a collaboration with the Radiology Research Institute, uh, the ACR Well-Being Committee, And we launched the first part of the well-being seminar in December 2022, and the second part of the well-being seminar a couple weeks ago, April 1st, at the Wisconsin Rail Society's 2023 annual meeting. And both parts of the well-being seminar were recorded and can be found on the Wisconsin Rail Society website. And it was again a tremendous discussion. Uh, We discussed strategies to improve well-being. We exchanged ideas. We proposed solutions. And I just received some exciting news last week that the uh, this important well-being initiative that I developed was selected by the Radiology Leadership Institute, uh Radiology Leadership Institute for the 2023 Impact and Leadership Award. Congratulations. And that's great news. Oh, thank you. I mean that's great wow. news because now more people are going to learn about this well-being seminar. Um and it just uh, and and the whole point of this whole thing is for people to learn, uh, where we can discuss things and where we need to we need to keep well by continue to discuss these things and continue to discuss, these things, to discuss these things. And they can watch these these two uh, well-being seminars for free. They're both archived now on the Wisconsin Radiology Society website. Um, so another recent success, I wrote a special focus issue on well-being with my colleagues uh, for the JCR. It was a sp- special focus issue. It was just recently published. And this recent article, important article, discuss, discusses strategies and resources to reduce, reduce burnout for radiologists in academia, in private practice, at the VHA. Another success, my partner, Dr. Narayan, on the ACR PFC outreach committee, who is the inaugural vice chair of health equity, at the University of Wisconsin. And by the way, I think Dr. Narayan would be an excellent, th- another wonder, wonderful thought leader to learn from on this excellent, excellent UCF podcast easy- series. But of our success, Dr. Narayan and I, from the collaboration with our current parts in health equity of the RSNA, Dr. Flores, Dr. Spaluto, we're also doing excellent work in reducing health disparities and are also vice chairs of health equity at their respective institutions. And we've combined forces between our two committees within the ACR and the RSNA, and we're reaching out now to our respective committee members reality in our community to highlight challenges and successes they've had in achieving health equity. And we'll be posting these important discussions on the Radiology Health Equity Coalition website for people to learn from. Um, we're also concurrently developing a national lecture series with our committee members from the ACR PFC Outreach Committee to highlight the excellent work they're doing in their institutions and in their community. Uh, and their work provides excellent examples of our mission from the PFC Outreach Committee to the joyful tribe of healthcare success. So improving patient and family started care, improving health equity, improving well-being, uh, so the ACR pfc Outreach Committee, we, we, we've made a tremendous difference in continuing to improve uh, patient care across the nation.
0: That's excellent. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, uh, I know, Dr. Weissman, you're a, a, an avid user of Twitter. Um, so we'll, we'll go ahead and include your handle there. And 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 if it's okay with you, hopefully um, some audience members can reach out and find out more about all the interesting programs you talked about today. Um, and so, yeah, let us know uh, if if you happen to be on Twitter and you're an audience member, please let us know, uh, you know, uh, your thoughts on this or any other issues at uh, at radiology ACR. And please include hashtag ACR Bulletin podcast in your tweet. I also invite our audience to check out all our past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel to stay up to date on our latest episodes. And please do hit that like button on this video if you found it valuable. Thanks again, Dr. Weissman. We really, really appreciate you coming today.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's been my great pleasure. And thanks again for the excellent work and for this tremendous ACR Bulletin podcast series. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin podcast. See you next time.